0: All right, and if anyone needs a Bible, if you want to raise your hand, and one of the ushers will go ahead and give you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, it would be a great gift to give it to you today and just uh, as a way to serve you today. All right, so if everyone wants to stand now, we're going to go ahead and read Philippians 3, 1 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attend the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to gather with you this morning. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And if we haven't met before, I would love to meet you uh, after the service today. I'm excited to get into this text in Philippians 3 this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time. God of grace, we come before you this morning and just give you thanks for the gift it is to gather together this morning. God, each person that's in this room this morning, that you in your providence, you in your sovereignty saw fit to be here today. And so, Lord, we we just want to acknowledge that and give thanks for that. God, that you are Lord over every aspect of our lives. And so as we come this morning to open up your word, I pray that we would submit our lives to you. That your Holy Spirit would use this time to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would receive your word this morning, that you would use it in our lives to transform us to be more like Jesus. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work this morning. I pray that you'd fill me this morning. I pray that your word would go forth and not return void this morning. And that by doing that, that God, you would help us to leave here treasuring Jesus more than we did when we came in this morning. And so we give this time to you. We pray you'd be honored by it. In the name of Christ, would be lifted high. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in, uh, in 1978, one of the most popular British rock bands of all time released an album and a song by the same title that maybe some of you know if you don't know your British rock history, maybe know from the theme song of the show CSI, Who Are You? The band The Who released this song in 1978, but we know it probably just from the beginning, that chorus that's become familiar. Who are you? Who, 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 right? It's a good question to ask. I didn't have my pitch pipe this morning, so sorry if that was a little flat. Um, it's a good question for us to ask, though, right? Who are you? And I think a lot of people are asking themselves that question today. Who who am I? Who are you? And In the case of the show CSI, it played into the focus of the show, hence picking it for their theme song. They're always trying to figure out who a person is and what's happened to them and who committed a particular crime. It pops up in the classic Alice in Wonderland when Alice is confronted with the hookah-smoking caterpillar who asks her, who are you? We ask this question when we look at others. We ask this question when we look at ourselves in the mirror. And who are you? It's a simple question, but if we take it seriously, its simplicity gives way to complexity. Because the question, who are you, is a question of identity. See, identity is what defines you. It's what makes you who you are. At the core of your being, who are you? And our human nature longs for identity. Identity. Because in our identity, where we find our identity is oftentimes where we find value. If I know who I am at the core of my being, if others know who I am, then it's by that that I have worth. It's by that that I have value. It's by that that I can be accepted. And all of us long to be accepted. I think we know that of ourselves. We see it in our culture. We we long to be fully known and fully loved. See to be fully known but not fully loved is terrifying for us, right? Like if somebody really knew every single thing about you but didn't give love to you, you that be that's a scary thing. But to be fully loved but not fully known, well, that's kind of superficial. The people might love you a lot, but don't really know the core of who you're being, of who, of who you are in your being. And so we long to be accepted in that way that we can be both fully known and fully loved. And so when someone asks the question, "Who are you?" If we take it seriously, then it's a serious question with serious consequences. And the world is constantly asking that question to size one another up. It's constantly asking that question to know where we fall in the pecking order of life. It's constantly asking that question to assess whether we have value or worth as compared to others. And while asking you who are you, the world is also never short of offering you plenty of things to find your identity in. And so as we come to our text today, we see the Apostle Paul address this issue of identity. And so this text is especially important for us to learn from. Because if we take to heart what he's saying in this text, then we can find joy and peace and freedom and hope in the midst of a world that is still searching for all of those things, but to quote another famous song, still hasn't found what it's looking for. So my hope today is that if you are a follower of Jesus already that God would use this time in his word that he'd use it to encourage you this morning. My hope for you is that he would use this time in his word to shake off the dust of disenchantment in your life. That maybe you've been just going through the motions of being a follower of Jesus. And he would shake that off this morning. I pray that he would use this time in his word this morning to remind you and refresh you in the reality of who you are if you are a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're here this morning, that God saw fit to bring you this morning. Whether you came on your own or a friend invited you, whatever it was that led you here today. I trust that God brought you here. And my guess is for you, whether you'd admit this outright or not, is that you're looking for all of those things in life too. Looking for joy, looking for peace, looking for hope, looking for freedom. You're looking for identity. Maybe you have an answer to that question, who are you? Maybe you don't. My hope for you today is that you'll see what God has to say to you. And what God offers to you in and through Jesus. And that he will use that truth To change your life, to give you an everlasting hope that's rooted in an unchanging identity. And so with that, let's go ahead and open up to Philippians three this morning. And may God bless the preaching of his word. Now I think it's interesting. We will jump right in here. The very first word here, chapter three, Paul says, Finally. But there's two chapters left. So I don't know if he like thought he was wrapping things up or not. It's a joke. A little boy asks his dad, What does the preacher mean? When he says, finally, in his sermon, and his dad looks at him and says, absolutely nothing. (laughs) But what I think we need to see in this word, finally, is not necessarily that he's coming to his final remarks, but he's entering this time of transition to really focus in on what life looks like if the Philippians and us seek to live out everything that he's talked about so far. This whole sentence is really transitional. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And this call to rejoice has been a theme throughout the book of Philippians, and it's something we're going to come back to in chapter 4 and spend a little bit more time talking about then. But every time Paul calls us to have joy or calls us to rejoice, it's a transition and a new focus of his letter. And what he's about to get into in these last two chapters of the letter is a lot of application that flows out of his call in Philippians 1.27, where he called us to live lives worthy of the gospel, where he called us to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, that we do life together with one another, focusing on Jesus and making much of him, and that we would do so with unity that's rooted in humility, a unity that's rooted in sacrificial love. And so in this opening statement of this new section, Paul calls us to rejoice, and he says that he can, has no trouble saying this to us, and that it's safe for for us. Why? Why does he say it's safe for us for him to call us to rejoice? Well, because the world is offering you all kinds of things. The world is promising you joy. It's promising you peace and all kinds of things. But when we rejoice, it's a safeguard for your life. Why? Because when we rejoice in the way that Paul's calling us to, it comes from remembering who you are in Christ and all you have in Christ. And so that leads Paul to give this strong warning, this strong exhortation. And the language he uses in this section is really intense. See, he warns the Philippians and us to look out for the dogs and the evildoers and those who mutilate the flesh. Now, to be called a dog in certain respects today is still not a good thing, right? But in culture, we still use that kind of as a greeting. I mean, my screen name in college was J-Dog. Yeah, But in ancient times, this was was an insult because dogs weren't pets. They they weren't domesticated animals. They were a nuisance in a city. And so for someone to be called a dog, that's an intense intense word to use to be applied to a person. What Paul's doing here, though, in case you think he's being mean-spirited, what he's doing here is he's flipping an insult that's been given to others. See the Jewish religious leaders often called Gentiles dogs. Those were not believers who didn't follow the law. They called them dogs. So what? Here, what Paul is saying is no, 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 no. If anybody's a dog, it's not these people. It's you. He's warning the Philippians. He's warning us against false teachers. See, this religious false teachers that Paul is warning against is anyone that adds anything to the gospel. Anyone that adds anything to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he's come to rescue us, what we celebrate at Advent, that Christ has come to redeem us and restore us to a right relationship with God. Anyone that adds anything to that, Paul says, be weary of. Those that say that it's Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus your pedigree, your background, where you come from, your family line, Jesus plus your performance. The things you do that, that enables you to be accepted by God. Those are the people that are saying Jesus plus any of those things. That's what enables you to be accepted by God. And in this case, it was an insistence that circumcision was necessary for salvation. These false teachers were calling people to put their confidence for acceptance. Their confidence for approval in the flesh in a very literal way. And so Paul emphatically denies that. And declares in verse 3, no, 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 if you want to know who the circumcision is, we are the circumcision. Those who are truly accepted by God because we worship in spirit and we glory in Christ. It's not about these outward things that we do. See, all of us are always worshiping. We're always giving worth to things, giving value to things, to someone or something. But when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, when their life is transformed by Christ, placing their hope and their faith in Him for the forgiveness of sin, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, and that's how you have new life. And so a fruit of your new life in Christ is that you can now be a right worshiper of God. And an aspect of Right worship of God is that instead of seeking to steal glory from him, we give glory to him. In other words, we stop boasting in ourselves. We stop trying to make the world revolve around us. We stop boasting in what we can accomplish and what we do, our heritage, our background. And instead, we boast in Jesus, which is the key point of Paul's exhortation for us. We glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh See, Paul's point is that your confidence to be accepted by God, your confidence to be approved by God doesn't come from anything that you do or don't do. It comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. But to play the logical game a bit, Paul says in verse 4, listen, if anyone could boast in their flesh and all their accomplishments and all their heritage, if anyone could do that, it'd be me. In fact, I could do it better than anyone else. And he gives this list in verses 4 through 6. He says, I was circumcised in the eighth day. I've already gotten that taken care of. My parents followed the religious rules and rituals that have been given to us. He has ethnic heritage as a chosen person. He, he's a standout Hebrew. And this is all pedigree, all of his background. He's saying, like, I'm, a, I'm a good looking dude. I've got it all together. He also says, I'm a Pharisee. He, he follows the law of God to a T. He's on his best behavior. He's a zealous follower of God. He's an upholder of truth, which for him at that time meant that he was going to persecute the church. Those that followed after Jesus, because he saw that as being disobedient to who, who God is. He lived a righteous, outwardly blameless life. If you looked at Paul, if you interacted with Paul, you would have thought, this is a good guy. He has his life together, he looks squeaky clean. And so he lists off these two categories of things his pedigree, his background, and his performance, all the things that he does. And what he's saying to us, what he's showing to us, is that, man, he's an uber religious person. From outward appearances, he was kind of top of the class. And so if someone had asked Paul, Who are you? this would have been his answer. And it was by that basis that Paul believed he was accepted by God. It was by that basis that Paul believed he was approved by God. He found his identity in these things. But then he makes this bombshell statement in verses seven through nine. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. significant. It's as if he has a a gains and losses sheet. I know there's a few accountants in our room, so if I get this wrong, forgive me. But the basic premise of this is that on one side of the sheet, he lists all of his assets, the things that hold value for him. And on the other side of the sheet, he lists all of his liabilities, things that take away value. And so when you have a gains and losses sheet, obviously you want the gains to be higher than the losses so that the net difference In your life is that you have a positive balance, not a negative balance. And we often think about life this way. For honest, we think about our relationship with God this way. That's what Paul thought. See, for him, it was even more than that. It wasn't just that he did good things, he was a good outward person and a good spiritual person. He he went to temple, he knew the Bible, he did good religious things. He believed he was accepted by God because of those things, approved by God because of his pedigree and his performance, his identity. Again, it was in those things. It was all wrapped up in that. Who are you, Paul? It's all this stuff. That was until Jesus met him on the road and blinded him with grace. See, Paul thought he was doing everything he could possibly do to be loved and accepted by God. And Jesus came to him in love and said, "Wrong." It's only by me and through me that you can be loved and accepted by God. Because it's only by me and through me that you can be declared righteous. To be declared righteous is to be declared right before God. That when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin and your rebellion. He sees perfection and holiness. To be declared right before God means that you can be in a right relationship with God because our sin separates us from him, it taints that relationship, it breaks that relationship. And so to be declared right means that that relationship has been restored. And what Paul came to realize, what we need to realize, is that to be declared righteous before God isn't about your pedigree, your background, your heritage. It isn't about your performance, all the things you do. It isn't about the good things you do or the sins that you don't do. It's about Jesus from beginning to end, always and forever, because Jesus is the only one who can deal with your biggest problem, your sin and your rebellion against God. And that's Paul's whole point in verses 9 and 10. See, when Jesus came and confronted Paul with grace and truth, Paul was undone. Because he came to realize that apart from Christ, every aspect of who he was, every good and religious thing he did was but filthy rags before God. All tainted by sin and selfishness. See, Paul looked to the depths of who he was, the core of his being, and he was found wanting. Which is both a terrifying reality and a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace because in the midst of being found wanting, unable to stand before God on his own, the good news of the gospel of Jesus washed over him. See, the righteousness and the perfection that God rightly demands from us, he has given to us in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul writes there, For our sake he made him, made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus exchanged places with us. He took on all all of our sin and by faith gave us his righteousness. That when God looks at you now, he sees you as he sees Jesus. This is a core tenet of the gospel of grace. What God requires, he supplies for you. And it's by faith in Christ and his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his substitutionary death, his glorious resurrection that his righteousness can become your righteousness. See, Paul's point is that it isn't a change of your outward body and it isn't a change of your outward behavior that's needed. You need a new heart. A heart where the old heart is cut away and replaced with a new heart that's alive and attuned to the things of God. You see, Paul was impeccably religious, but that's the problem. Religion doesn't save. Jesus saves. And that's what Paul wants the Philippians to remember and rejoice in. That's what he wants us to remember and rejoice in. See, these false teachers were saying... Jesus plus something equals salvation, but Paul here is telling us, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He he thought he was doing all the right things, but by God's grace came to realize, no, instead I'm the chief of sinners. And I need the only righteous one, King Jesus. When Paul came to realize this, he flips his gains and losses. And he adds, all of things that he thought as gain to the losses category and adds one thing to the gain column that holds any real value and that's Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 8. In verse 8 he says he, he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Because of that. When Paul's life was invaded by Jesus, everything changed for him. And what he once saw as assets he now sees as Rubbish compared to jesus see rubbish is a crude expletive in the original language and context it means dung or excrement or whatever other word you want to put in there so paul's language is intense here he's saying all these awesome things about who i thought i was i think they are pretty much trash now when i compare them to who jesus is So he renunciates his pedigree. He renunciates his performance because none of those things got him anything of lasting value. But in Christ alone, he's justified and made right with God. In Christ alone, he's sanctified, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him, being united with him. In Christ alone, he will be glorified. We see in verse 11 that he longs to obtain the resurrection from the dead and be with Jesus forever. So now all that Paul wants is Jesus. All he wants is Jesus. He wants to be found in Jesus, positionally united with him before the Father. He he wants to know Jesus, to have a relationship with his King and his Savior. The world can offer him all kinds of promises. It can offer him all kinds of praise related to his pedigree and performance. But Paul says, along with the great hymn writer Fanny Crosby, take the world, but give me Jesus give me Jesus. That's why Paul can take risks for Jesus. He can risk everything. Because for Paul, Christ is gain. He's everything for his life. It's why he can call us to take risks for Jesus. Something we'll only do if Jesus is our greatest treasure. Now, maybe you don't quite relate to Paul and his list of things. Because most of us aren't Jewish by heritage, and none of us are Pharisees by practice. And so it's easy, though, in the midst of that, to be tempted when you read this text to kind of set aside what Paul says, or at least keep it at a distance, not allowing it to convict you and confront you, because you read this and say, well, I don't, I don't brag about those things. I don't boast about those things. And we don't have false teachers telling us to be circumcised. Man, false teachers come in all shapes and sizes telling you how to gain acceptance in your life. And we need to understand, as John Calvin Calvin pointed out, that confidence in the flesh is when you put confidence in anything outside of Christ. And so that means that anything in your life right now that you depend on or look to in order to earn acceptance by God or acceptance by others, where you find value, what you treasure the most that isn't Jesus, is putting your confidence in the flesh. For some of us, we can be tempted to believe a a false gospel of religion. Read your Bible, serve, give, show up at church, sing the songs, pray, practice spiritual disciplines. And we can believe, and here's the lie and the false gospel of this, we can believe that it's by doing those things that we're loved and accepted by God. And the inverse is also true, that if we don't do those things, then we're loved less by God. But what we Learn from Paul is that the security of your salvation isn't in a past experience or anything you do, but a present faith. Is your only hope in Jesus now? Is your greatest treasure Jesus now? But we also need to be aware of the lie, the false gospel of the irreligious. See, the irreligious person says, hey, ditch all that Bible stuff. That's antiquated, it's old, you don't need that. Just be a good person. Do good for society. Make your own rules and laws. Have high standards. And as long as you live up to those standards, you should be good to go. So we want to want the good to outweigh the bad so that, again, that net result is positive. As long as we can present more gains than losses to God, we'll be okay. And so we try to do good things. Be nice to people. Not cuss too much or drink too much. Maybe give a little money here or there to charity or church. Hand out a few dollars to homeless people and generally just mind our own business. Now, most of those things are are good things to do, but that's what we need to realize here. It's not that all those things are bad, it's that they keep you from Christ. They keep you from treasuring him above everything, from finding your only hope in him. See, saving faith is the abandoning of any other thing that you would try to use in order to be accepted by God. Abandoning of anything else. And that's why Paul's writing this. It's why it still matters for us today. Because freedom and identity and value aren't found in where you come from or what you do. They're found in Jesus alone. Who says to you, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest man are you tired this morning tired from trying to keep up appearances trying tired of trying to earn acceptance jesus goes on to say take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls are you tired at that soul level deep down wondering does god really love you does he really care about you Jesus finishes by saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation to come to him. See, this world is constantly asking you a question. It's constantly asking, who are you? Where is your identity? And then it offers you 101 options for you to root your identity in. But all those things are about you. Things that you have to do. Things that you can do. So we need to constantly be aware of newly packaged legalisms. Maybe somebody isn't telling you to be circumcised or to follow certain rules about food, but there's that constant give and get teaching. If you just give this and just do this, then you can receive this. But that's not the gospel. That's not grace. See, in this text, Paul is clearly crushing any form of self-righteousness. Anything that you would do to earn righteousness. And instead is pointing all of us to our need for a foreign, gifted righteousness found only in Jesus. Because apart from him, nothing else is lasting. This is a centering text for a struggling church in a distracting world. It's a centering text that you and I need as well. Because we also can be distracted. I don't know about you, but I, but I can read a text like this and be like, yes, like, I love this. like These verses here, Like I count everything as lost. It's all trash. It's all rubbish. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I need. That's all I want. But if I'm honest, then I roll into my week and maybe just even to this afternoon, and I can be so quick to be right back at looking for my identity in something else finding my value in something else, putting value and finding treasure in something else, and I quickly start clinging to the things of this world that vie for my love and vie for my attention, and I set Jesus aside. Or maybe for some of you, you're at the end of this year, and you're looking back over your year, and you're kind of evaluating. A lot of us do that. Did I accomplish everything I wanted to this year? Did I work out as much? Did I lose as much weight? Did I get these things done at work? Did I get this project done at home? Did I And grow my bank account by this much? Did I achieve? Did I achieve? Did I achieve? And if you didn't meet any of those goals in your life, then you can start to wonder, do you have value? Do you have worth? For others of you, when you look at a text like this, and then you look at your life, you have gain. You have a great degree from a great university. You're a smart person. Maybe you've achieved a lot in school or work or your family You have high status. You have material wealth. And if you're honest, it's hard to count those things as loss. And again, it isn't necessarily that all those things are worthless in and of themselves. It's that they have no lasting worth or value when you compare it to the exceeding value of Jesus. Of knowing Him and being found in Him. See, we have to be careful here to consider something as a loss without comparing it to Christ it's just going to be more legalism and law. It's not rooted in anything. We need to see that Jesus doesn't eclipse those things as if he needs to block the light of their glory. Right? We know what an eclipse does, right? It's a, the moon is coming in front of the sun. It's blocking that. And so it's, it's obstructing the light of the sun. Jesus doesn't need to eclipse things as if he's going to block the light of their glory. Jesus outshines everything. His glory is exceedingly great than anything else. So if you're struggling right now with seeing everything else as loss and rubbish compared to Jesus, that's a natural reality. If If you don't admit that, then maybe you really haven't taken stock of what's going on in your life. Because notice again what Paul says. He doesn't just say, well, all these things are lost. No, he says, I suffer the loss of all things. Again, mentions at the end that he wants to enter into and share in the sufferings of Christ. It's hard to count these things as loss, to stop finding your identity in them, because it can be disorienting for you, for me. It's something you've put all of your hope in for so long, something you've attached your identity identity to for so long, that when you start to see that fade into the background, you start to ask yourself again, well, actually, I don't really know who I am. And the world's going to tempt you with fleeting pleasures. It's going to offer you shortcuts to glory. But it's all smoke and mirrors. And we need to understand that the path of finding joy in Jesus comes through suffering and death. We see that in the last few verses of this text. This isn't about a, a physical death, it's about the dying to self that Jesus calls each of us to over and over and over again. See, the loss of the things you've been trying to find your identity in is a learning to be more like Jesus. And until you come to see Jesus as Lord over every aspect of your life, until you see him as king over every aspect of who you are, you will not find Christ of surpassing worth and that everything else is worthless compared to him. When I read a text like this I just want to cry out, God, I want to treasure you, Jesus. I want to treasure you that my heart and prayer and life would reflect the sentiment of take the world but give me Jesus. That I I wouldn't just say I believe these things, but actually live them out in my life and display that all I have is Christ and Christ is all that I need, that he is my greatest treasure, that he is my source of joy, that I would experience rest and refreshment and peace because Jesus is the center of my life. That's my desire. When I look at this, I want to see that in my life and maybe that's where you're at too. But listen, if it's hard for you to lay down things you find worth in, it's okay because God's grace is sufficient for you. I'm so thankful that God is so patient with me. I'm so thankful for his means of grace to help me see this, that this is a gift for us, that we're sitting here this morning, looking ahead at his word, thinking about the worthiness of our Savior. It's a gift to me to gather with you every week to be reminded of who I really am and repent of who I've been trying to be. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning, too. And so what do you do if Jesus isn't your identity, if he isn't your gain, if he isn't your greatest treasure? You come and behold your Savior. You stop and you think and you pursue and you soak in the riches of his grace, remembering who he is and what he's done for you. Recognizing that what is most lacking in you has been given to you beyond measure in Jesus. And that when you reflect on that, when you remember that, of course he is gain. And because of that, you can rejoice along with Paul. It can be that safeguard for your life to protect you from everything else the world would call you away from Jesus to pursue. And we can rejoice along with Paul. We can rejoice along with one another because we've been given Christ, not because of anything we did on our own. Because God loves us and cares for us. When we recognize the surpassing worth of Jesus, we can be like the man in the parable in Matthew 13 that discovered a treasure in the field and then goes and sells everything he has so that he can just buy that field. He says, man, I want to get rid of it all because I just want this treasure. And we know, recognize about that parable, right, that nobody else knows about that treasure and so everybody else thinks that guy's crazy. What, you're ditching all this other stuff for a field? Like, I don't get that. Jesus is trying to show us sometimes the world is not going to understand, most of the time, not going to understand why it is that you count everything else as loss because you value Jesus above all. But man, that's our role in the world that we can go and share that with the people around us, with our neighbors and our coworkers, that during this Advent season with our kids and our family to say, yeah, all this other stuff, it's all great and everything. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because this is about Jesus. And I want to value Jesus above everything else. Brothers and sisters, the treasure of today will be on the trash heaps of tomorrow. But Jesus remains. He alone is enduring and everlasting. He remains bright and beautiful and glorious and unchanging and unending and unfading and unfailing forever and ever and ever. So let me ask you this morning, where are you finding your identity? Is it in your pedigree or your performance? Are you looking to discover something in yourself that is only available in Christ? Joy in this life will come when you come to the end of yourself and realize that all you have is Christ. To be found in him is your joy is, to be found in him and recognize who you are and who you're able to be in him. In Christ, there's freedom, freedom from performance, freedom from religious rule following, freedom to follow Jesus in all of life. In Jesus, your identity is secure. It isn't in your job or your achievements. Your identity isn't in your mothering, It isn't in your bank account. It isn't in your stuff. It isn't in your looks. It isn't in your relationship status. Listen, if you had nothing else to boast about in this life, you always have Jesus to boast about. And he has made you his own. And by faith, his righteousness is yours, and you are his, and that will never change. Are you looking for significance in life right now? Find it in Jesus are you looking for purpose in life right now? Find it in Jesus. Are you looking for meaning in your life right now? Finding it in Jesus. If you're lo- are you looking for confidence or hope or peace or security? Are you looking for identity? Find it all in Jesus. And when the world asks you, who are you? I don't want your answer or my answer to be a long list of our accomplishments and our abilities. I want our answer and my answer to always be, I am in Christ. He is my treasure. He is gain to me. And may we believe that. And encourage one another with that. And then go and tell the world around us. And together, say with Paul, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth and greatness and grace of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Brothers and sisters, let Christ in you overshadow you. Find freedom in that. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is all you have. And at the end of the day, Jesus is all you need. An opportunity we have every week as we gather together is to come forward to partake of a meal that Jesus gave to us to remember Him and all that He's accomplished for us. It's meant to spiritually nourish us with the very presence of Christ our King, our greatest treasure. And in eating the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for us and drinking the cup, a a picture of Christ's blood shed for us, we declare that Jesus is our only hope. Maybe some of you this morning are just feeling convicted or or overwhelmed by the Spirit, recognizing that Jesus hasn't been your greatest treasure. Maybe this week or this month or this year or for your whole life. That's where you find yourself. Before you come forward, just take some time to confess that to the Lord. And if you are a follower of Jesus, when you do come forward, get up out of your seat. Come to a table at the front or the back. Leave behind you in your seat. Everything else is loss compared to knowing Christ, the one who lived and died and rose again. Come and be reminded and refreshed in the sufficient grace available to you. And then let's rejoice together in all that we have in Christ. Then, if you're not a follower of Jesus, again, we're so glad that you're here this morning. We just ask you not to come forward to take communion because this is our declaration that Jesus is Lord. And so if you're not yet in that place, I hope that you would take to heart what's been said this morning what God's word says to you and recognize that Jesus can be Lord for you and is your only hope. Instead of coming forward, you would just stay in your seat and pray. Instead of taking the bread and the cup this morning, that you would take Christ. Let somebody around you know what it looks like to know Jesus, or let somebody know uh, that you want to know what it looks like to know Jesus and follow Jesus. We'd love to help you with that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables in the front of the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink. And what Christ our Lord has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the opportunity to gather together this morning. We give you thanks for your word. That by your word, God, we are instructed and grow in knowledge. But by your word, God, we're convicted and challenged. And so we pray this morning, God, would you forgive us? Forgive us for where we've found value in other things, identity in other things besides Jesus. God, forgive us this morning for where we've treasured other things above Jesus, things that we've produced in our own life, the achievements we have, all those kinds of things. God, would you just forgive us for that? And I pray that even today, right now in this moment, that you would reorient our gaze. The eyes of our heart would be on the gloriousness of our Savior. And that, God, we would be able to Genuinely say and believe and live lives that display that Christ is our greatest treasure and that everything else is loss. So, God, we pray that you'd help us to be that kind of community, that as we treasure Christ above all things, as we encourage one another to treasure Jesus above all things, that we would go and tell the world. So, God, we give you thanks for this morning. Help us to focus on you, to be refreshed in you, to walk faithfully with you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Come forward when you're ready.